Hello, friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of For the Love of Sports. Today, we have John Balcom. He is the owner of Third Win Group. John is an incredible person. He's also an author of Three Win Sponsorship. Make sure to check out the show notes to get to grab the book. But John is a it's very interesting how he looks at partnerships and sponsorships because there's so many extra things that we could be doing from a cause marketing perspective where including this third party from the beginning can really help. Um, and I say we because I sell sponsorship and partnership uh, as well. That's my full-time job. But listening to John talk make, definitely makes me consider and think differently around what I'm trying to do and how I'm trying to do it. And I think that will uh, that will really help anybody um, because rising tide lifts all boats. Um, when there's three wins involved, more people will be happy and will impact more of the community. And usually that comes with more returns and better gains anyway. So I'll let John explain most of that. So I hope all of you enjoy this conversation that I have with John Balcom. man yeah i mean it's uh it's it's a fun thing i truly do enjoy doing this um i don't even know how many we've done so far in the last what's today the 15th 16th something like that um and i think we already have like eight to ten recorded um none of them are released yet because i'm still waiting on a couple things so that first couple those first couple days are going to be bananas but today we have john balcom hanging out with me uh owner of the third win group um current employee of Substack and is the author of Three Win Sponsorship. John, how's it going today, man? It's going great, Michael. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for asking me. You know, no one, no, everyone asks me. Um, the host. <laughs> and that's fine. I don't really, you know, I don't want to be considered a host. I just want to be the guy who's in all these conversations. Um, I don't like calling them interviews either because I don't want to make it seem like I'm interrogating you in any way. I just want to have a conversation about what you do i mean we had one once um oh awesome so um uh we left the bar whatever bar we were at it was awesome had a couple drinks john and i hung out we shared some cool ideas some cool stories i then go to penn station um and again shared a couple drinks so i was a little bit nicer than in most situations so some kid walks up he's like hey we're uh i'm selling cookies for my basketball team to uh you know so we can buy uniforms um i don't believe him anymore but i bought a pack of cookies it was like three bucks or whatever i needed change so he gives me change and one of his friends comes around and literally just swipes the change right out of my hand and runs away it was like 15 bucks i was like are you kidding and they both ran away he dropped his cookies so i took them but um you'll always be forever attached to the one time i was uh, robbed in penn station so thanks for hanging out with me today john i appreciate it of course no, no reaction to the story at all. You're practically the reason why I got robbed. But all right, cool. So uh, let's talk about you a little bit. First question um, all I want to ask people is, uh, where does your love of sports come from? Man, as, as far back as I can remember, Michael, I was obsessed with sports. I was the kind of kid growing up watching SportsCenter two or three times a day, right? But on top of that, you know, I come from a family of four boys, so I'm the youngest. And naturally, sports and athletics were something that were a common thread throughout childhood. My dad is a huge sports fan. We grew up in the, in the Washington, D.C. 
uh, metropolitan area. So we're DC sports fans through and through, but it really was from an early age, um, falling in love with the game of baseball, getting to watch the tail end of Cal Ripken Jr.'s career, you know, growing up in, in um, the DC area, that was a really kind of special time uh, to, to grow up as a sports fan. And then it turned into to me playing baseball, playing other sports and, and really kind of part of my identity really when I was a, you know, when I was a child and into my teenage years was wrapped up in being an athlete. Um, we could talk about how things have evolved since then, but I've always felt like I've gotten so much out of sports, whether it be life lessons, whether it be just, you know, skills, relationships, uh, stories, you know, all kinds of great experiences have come from my, my love of sports and it's carried into how I've decided to, to, you know, pick my career path and, Mm -hmm. and, and do what I'm doing today. I love it, man. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, same same thing on my end. You know, I I do you remember ESPN News? I would literally just leave that on, and it was just highlights for thirty minutes, and then it would restart. And I remember just watching that repeatedly. You know, like just give me everything, and you'd see something new occasionally, but you'd pretty much just be sitting there for two hours, or I would just watching the same thing over and over again. And I loved every second of it. Um, and I totally agree. The relationships, the people that you meet in um in this industry are. I mean, we all have a common thread. It's either competition or just the love of sports because, I mean, there is no other form of drama that I want to enjoy more than the last two minutes of really any sporting event, right? A basketball game, playoff hockey. If anyone out there hasn't watched playoff hockey, it's going to be coming up, you know, in, a, in I guess like six months now, but there is no form of drama higher. Like I don't sweat more than sitting on my couch watching double overtime in playoff hockey there's just nothing like it man i mean michael to give you a perfect example of this i'm a i'm a georgetown alum and i'm a huge georgetown basketball fan and last night i'm watching georgetown play a a close game with creighton who's a 25 ranked team uh, in the country and my heart was beating out of my chest and i'm just sitting on my couch by Mm -hmm. myself but that emotional connection that i have with georgetown basketball since I was a little kid going to watch Allen Iverson play at the Capitol Center. For, for those of you who don't know, that was where they, they played in, in Landover, Maryland before they, they uh, moved to, to what's now Capitol and Arena. But it, it is just amazing what, you know, the emotional kind of connection that you build with, with the teams and the players. And um, I, I see it as a big part of just enjoying life, right? Even mm-hmm. in the bad times, you know, even when your teams are losing, you know, you get to complain with your friends uh, that, that your team is bad, right? There's, it's, I find even the, 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 the bad parts about being a sports fan to be rewarding in some ways. Exactly. It's, it's, there's nothing like it. That emotion, 100%. Um, I don't feel it in anything else. The only things that most people could probably equate it to being religion and politics, two things I never really want to talk about. So if you're, someone's interested in talking about sports, I'm more than willing to, uh, to get angry at someone and start yelling. But no, I, it's, uh, there's nothing like it for me personally. Um, and it's interesting how you bring up, so in DC, obviously, or in the DC area, as you said, you had Cal Ripken. What was it like when they introduced a brand new franchise to a city, to, to a state, you know, a, a, an area? Because it, it feels like, I mean, I've never been in that type of situation to kind of see something um, 
kind of arrive? Like, how were the emotions attached to the Nationals for you, knowing you're a baseball fan? Like, what was it like in the beginning? And then obviously with them winning the World Series recently, I'm sure some of those feelings have changed a little bit. Sure, I, I think it has. And when I was, I mean, when the Nationals came to D.C., I believe it was 2004. Don't fact, fact check me on that. But I had already spent, you know, quite a bit of formative years falling in love with the Baltimore Orioles. Mm-hmm. Right? And, you know, the Iron Man, he was an iconic figure. So you, you, you can imagine that I have a deep emotional connection with the Orioles. And when the Nats came along, they weren't that great in terms of their product on the field for the first six, seven, eight years, right? So I didn't necessarily immediately jump uh, the bandwagon. In fact, I'm still, to this day, a diehard Orioles fan, even in the midst of rebuilding phase. But the Nationals have also become a part of my life because when you live in D.C., what's better than going to Nationals Park, having a few beers, having, having a bite to eat, hanging out with your friends, and just letting the game play out in front of you. I'm, I'm probably the biggest baseball fan in, in my friend group, but it's more about, again, gathering together, hanging out, shooting the shit, and, and just being together during the summer, right? So when the Nationals won this year, I would say, I'll admit, you know, hand to God, I jumped on the bandwagon and really got invested, right? I watched all of the playoff games. I even got to go to the World Series with my dad. Uh, to two games uh, at home in D.C. Two of the ones they lost, right? <laughs> yeah, two of the ones they lost. Really not that uh, – you know, the World Series is overrated yeah. from that perspective. But, no, I, I had an amazing time experiencing that run because just like with the, when the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup in 2018, the whole city seemed to be wrapped up in the story. And this Nationals team was so incredible because of the adversity they went through, right? They were mm-hmm. 19 and 31 in May. People were calling for their manager to get fired. They had injuries. And then all of a sudden, they caught fire. And it just – they never stopped, even when they were down in the Dodgers series, even when they were down um, – The Brewers the should have lost to the yeah. Brewers, should have lost to that. Like so many, yeah. They, they, they shouldn't have been there. And the fact that they won – and, and, I mean, incidentally, we don't have to get into this, but now that we've seen what's happened with the Astros, yep. mm-hmm. it's almost like it was justice. It was poetic justice that the Nats won. And I think, I mean, I actually wore my, a Nationals hat into the office today. So I'm definitely opening up uh, some space in my heart for the Nats, and I think a World Series run will, will do that for you. Absolutely. I mean, winning is always the best, right? That's the coolest feeling in the world. I can only imagine what it's like as a player, but being a fan of a team that wins, um, it's there is, I don't know, man. It's like the craziest high that you'll have for like two or three days, and it's just, it's incredible. And, and especially with the Orioles being AL, Nationals being NL, I mean, how often do they play a year? once twice like at top tops like you know so there's there's something about it and there's always that team and I totally agree I am a Mets fan so openly not a Nationals fan but after Bryce Harper left I definitely hated them way less so I didn't really care if they won but then all the stuff about the Astros come out and it's kind of like all right I don't really mind that they won poetic justice is a great way of putting it Um, so I think that that is great so Talking about emotion for sports and then kind of flipping that and, and pivoting to the next part of the conversation, emotion around 
philanthropic causes or emotion around helping doing right and, and helping good, um, doing good and helping right, whatever we want to call it. Um, I know that's obviously, that's a huge part of Third Wind Group and what you're trying to do with connecting brands, sponsors, and causes together to make that win-win-win situation. So how would you equate the emotion for a team or a player or a franchise to a cause or, or, or a charity or a nonprofit in, in kind of the same light? Yeah, well, this is something that has a lot of layers to it, Michael, but but I spent a lot of time last year studying consumer behavior, studying sponsorship marketing as a discipline, and really talking to people who have experience in this intersection of sponsorship marketing, social impact, and the sports entertainment industry. And a couple of things came to light for me. And number one is that you know, conscious consumerism is, is the new normal, right? Mm -hmm. I, I can certainly uh, attest to this, that I make buying decisions today, whether it be who I bank with, you know, what groceries I buy, you know, e even how I um, decide to travel, right? I make decisions based on either the values of the companies uh, that I'm, that I'm working with or that I'm buying products from, or, or even like how they, how they treat their employees, how they treat the environment. This, this idea of conscious consumerism is extremely prevalent and, and particularly for younger generations, this is extremely important when, when young people are making buying decisions and when they're deciding where to work, they really care about what the purpose of the brand or the company is. Do, do the values of that company align with my personal values? Right. So as I saw that, I also saw this fact that sponsorship is a massive business, right? Or call it a, a marketing discipline. The projection for last year was about $70 billion was spent on sponsorship globally last year. And within that, you know, cause marketing is kind of a, a small portion of it. But my studies have led me to believe that we're not going to necessarily separate out cause marketing and marketing within the sponsorship world. And in fact, we have the capability to better connect with this conscious consumer by integrating a cause or a social impact into sponsorship deals. And to, to give you a concrete example, uh, this is a story that I, I lead off my, my book with is how T-Mobile and Major League Baseball teamed up to provide hurricane relief in 2017 for uh, Hurricanes Harvey and Maria that, that were devastating to the city of Houston and to the island of Puerto Rico. So T-Mobile is an official sponsor of Major League Baseball. They had been activating a their sponsorship a couple of different ways, including the Home Run Derby. And you see a lot of advertising from T-Mobile right throughout baseball's postseason. But in 2017, they decided to, in the, you know, right as the postseason started, launch something called Home Runs for Hurricane Recovery. And they tied donations to an organization called Team Rubicon uh, for hurricane relief to home runs during, during MLB postseason games. Then they also uh, introduced a hashtag HR for HR that anyone on Twitter uh, could use the hashtag 
and it would trigger an additional donation to Team Rubicon. So you had this, basically this collision of a, of a great cause, uh, the great game of Major League Baseball, uh, and, and this brand who was funding it all. And they ended up getting, I believe it was about $2.8 million um, was raised through home runs that were hit and through all the activity on Twitter that was then distributed to Team Rubicon, which was providing on-the-ground hurricane relief in Houston and in Puerto Rico. All right, so long story short here is, think about how much more powerful that story is than a traditional marketing or advertising mm -hmm. message, right? I remember tweeting hashtag HR for HR, watching the baseball postseason, and it felt pretty good that I was basically making T-Mobile make a $10, 10, $10 donation just because I was sending a tweet, right? So one of the big things I'm trying to do with the book that I just put out in December and with my business is to take this concept of a win-win-win partnership and start applying it all over the place. You know, certainly with a focus on sports entertainment, uh, and, but, but again, trying to basically evangelize this idea that this is the mindset that you need to have in marketing, right? In the 20, in 2020 and going forward in order to, to connect with conscious consumers. I completely agree. It's, it's uh, it, first off, it's a great cause. Obviously I, I do remember it was very difficult if you watched baseball at all to miss anything around that. Um, you know, obviously with sports and Twitter being very interlocked as well, it's very easy to kind of see what's going on at all times without even watching it. So I do remember consistently throughout, you know, that time period, seeing a lot of HR for HR hashtags, a lot of, you know, praise towards T-Mobile. And, you know, one thing with sponsorship, a big portion of it is brand awareness, right? You attach your name to something because you want people to A, see it, but also associate you with something. Um, and now I don't have statistics, but I believe that type of brand awareness where you're, you're the, there's a, an incredible cause behind it. It's a very relevant cause and it's helping a lot of people. That brand awareness is going to resonate extremely more than just, as you were saying, the traditional, if they just sponsored the home run derby, we would have saw a thousand T-Mobile commercials and we probably would have been angry about it. Honestly, we probably would have been like, this is way too much. But instead, it was, this is incredible. I can't believe they're doing this. I love it. Um, so I, I totally agree with you that that type of marketing, that type of sponsorship can go so, so, so much further that the experiential side of it from the actual being at the Home Run Derby, but the experience that you just shared saying, I was sitting on my couch, I sent a tweet, and I felt good about myself. That's an experience. You can give that to somebody. And as you said, all I did was tweet and I made T-Mobile give an extra $10. Like that is an awesome opportunity that, you know, when brands start to see that, um, they're going to want to do more of it because I believe they'll make more money by being a good brand and doing what they're supposed to do by then also giving away that money as well. Right. Um, so let, let's talk about your book a little bit more. I, hand up, haven't totally finished it yet. Um, it's an easy read. It's really great. The stories in it are awesome. Um, you know, obviously the one about LA 84, that's a good one because I work with the Olympics and Olympic athletes. So that one was, it was really interesting. I didn't know the whole history behind it. So with, um, writing a book is a huge undertaking. Um, now I'm not going to sit here and say that your book's 500 pages long, but there's still a lot that goes into it. Where does, where did the idea for writing the book, like, why was it, okay, I need to write a book and I need to do it right now. 
Yeah, it's interesting, Michael. I, I felt like I was kind of living the book before I wrote the book. So let me explain and, and give you a little bit of context about that. So for the last three plus years, I worked at a company called EverFi here in Washington, D.C. Uh, I hadn't really left. Still a D.C. guy through and through. So EverFi is a really cool education technology company. And essentially what they built is a uh, online learning platform with a mission of teaching young people critical life skills. So the stuff that you and I wished that we had learned when we were going through school, like personal finance, health and wellness, entrepreneurship, all these different skills that really we feel like 21st century learners need. Everybody tries to fill that gap through an online learning platform. Now, the way that they scale that out is through sponsorship, right? And working with brands who can sponsor either on a national level or regional or a local level. The education can be sponsored by companies and that way it can be offered for free to schools. So I spent three years at this company and there's a sports and entertainment division at EverFi where we were doing these really large scale partnerships with the NHL doing a STEM education program called Future Goals. We did a character education program with the NFL called Character Playbook. And we, we grew. As I, as I was there at EverFi, we started to grow our sports and entertainment practice, if you will. Uh, working with Major League Baseball and the Premier League and MLS. And then where I got to spend a lot of time was working with individual teams and professional athletes and then brands. So in many ways, I got to see this idea of sponsors working with teams or working with athletes on social impact programs and EverFi kind of fulfilling the third win, right? Providing the education into the communities on behalf of organizations like the Brooklyn Nets and their Jersey patch sponsor in four, right? EverFi fulfilled a STEM education program on behalf of those two entities. So I saw this happening and then I had an opportunity uh, to make a, a long story short, I had an opportunity to join a group of first time authors and get some instruction on how do you go from an idea for a book to publishing a book? So this was end of 2018, beginning of 2019, that I decided to raise my hand and say, yes, I will take this, this concept of, 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 a, of a three-win sponsorship or a three-win partnership and write about it. And I mean, it pretty much took, took me all of last year, but it was an amazing learning experience. And it, it gave me the opportunity to speak with people who are more experienced than I, to, to learn a lot, to go really on this subject, and, and then to organize my thoughts, the, the process of taking a bunch of different ideas and then synthesizing that and trying to basically put together a useful resource for other people was an amazing learning experience. And I'm now feeling like I, I'm, I'm ready for the next project, not necessarily the next book, but I am doing some more writing and that book process was just truly an amazing experience. It's got to be the finishing the loop on that. I mean, how many people on planet Earth do you think have said, like, I want to write a book? And then they started and then kind of petered out. And you, being actually to, able to finish it, obviously, in a, in a cohort with a bunch of others, kind of having that accountability, but also that inspiration and kind of uplifted nature um, is super helpful. But finishing it, 
publishing a book, you as the author, um, you know, I don't know if that was a goal of yours for a very long time, but it's, it's a cool, cool thing to now walk around and just be like, yeah, oh, oh, that's interesting. I published a book on this, you know, shameless plug here and there. And don't worry, everything's going to be in the show notes. You guys can buy John's book. I have bought it as well. It's fantastic, as I've said, but it's just such a cool thing to actually go and do because I think so many people start and then they don't finish. Hand up, me included. I mean, I'm still like in the process of writing it, but I've been in the process of writing it for like, I don't know, like eight months at this point. So hopefully one of these days I'll finish it. But uh, I mean, I will finish it one of these days. There we go. But yeah, yeah, I will. I will. I'm excited for it. It's cool. 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 uh, Cool concept. But I just love what you've done. And, And I'm sure A, it now gives you an extreme amount of credibility, right? But B, how much did you learn in just doing the research and doing all the necessary parts of writing a book? How much did you learn in the process? A ton, a ton, because look how much information we get spit at us every day, Michael. Mm -hmm. You just go on LinkedIn or go on Twitter, go on any of your social media feeds, and it's always the next crisis. And it's very easy to just go at the surface level of everything and not get into any depth. But this book process really forced me to spend lots of time and go in depth on the one topic. And I feel like I can now tell amazing stories. I can, I have great case studies that I can pull from that I spent a lot of time researching and then organizing my thoughts about. And yes, I I think the credibility was one thing that I was really going for. But it was also confidence in knowing that I can take a project from, you know, from A to Z, get it done. And, and, you know, it only took about 10 months from like, we're starting this until now we're publishing this book. And fortunately for me, I think the, the group that I worked with called Creator Institute provided both that accountability and the, the community around like, this is a really hard thing we're doing, but we're all, you know, all 60 of us or how many of us are doing it together. Plus we got some instruction, right. And worked with this awesome professor named Eric Kester from Georgetown um, who you can read about him. He, he, he did this book class with his undergraduates at Georgetown, which has turned into a bigger thing that I've now participated in. But I feel like the depth and, of, and spending lots of time on one subject is something that is overlooked or glossed over by a lot of people today. And I'm really glad that I have found this ability to, to go deeper because that helps me stand out from, from kind of surface level thinkers. Right. And now I feel like an advantage in, in any industry we're, we're talking about the sports industry, but, but business in general is if you're able to, to go a level deeper, right. Than, than your, than your peers, that will, that will be much more valuable to employers, to business partners, to potential customers, and I encourage everybody to, you know, not necessarily go write a book, but spend some time going deeper on subjects that you care about. Read lots of books about it. Listen to lots of podcasts, you know, read, read the blog posts from the people that you admire because depth is important in 2020 and, and going forward. You can't just, you know, get, get the, uh, the faucet, you know, the, the, the hose of, of, surface level information every single day and expect to, to go forward um, and be successful in your career. 
I completely agree. It's um, it, you are right, and I think it's it's part of internet culture. Just the the quick nature of something, you know, the twenty four hour news cycle. Now it's just this happened. Okay, here's a headline. Okay, and if it's not a headline, you click in, and it's at a par- it's a paragraph article, which pretty much just said the headline in a you know a sentence form or two. So I totally agree with you in understanding going a lot deeper, especially because um, you can you can tell when someone's just bullshitting, right? Like you can kind of just tell. Now, if someone walked up to you and started having a conversation, they could quickly understand that not only do you have like six case studies, seven, 10, 12 case studies, however many that you have to pull from, uh, but you can talk in depth on them. You understand them, why it happened, how it happened, what exactly happened and how you can almost equate what someone else is doing or what the brand or the, the cause or the property is thinking, um, and how you could potentially start that creative process. So um, you and I do something similar, obviously, as we've been talking about a little bit. You work with a lot of brands. You do a lot of sponsorship. There's that. Then there's the um, the the cause aspect, the cause marketing aspect of it, which uh, in your newsletter you said it's just going to become marketing. So don't worry. All the links for the newsletter will be there as well. John just posted two awesome ones um, over the last week. I think the 20 things that'll happen in 2020, but. Um, you know, I work with the Olympics and, and my whole goal and I, well, not the Olympics themselves, but the NGPs and the athletes and the same thing, like I'm doing it because I want to help these athletes. So we're coming from a very similar place. And that's why I think we when we connected originally. Um, you know, we definitely had some good conversation and this is just another one that we get another feather, uh, in our cap when it comes to that. So with writing this book, all the content, obviously you had to obtain that you talked to however many people, as you said, you listen, read books, listen to podcasts, read blogs, did everything. What is the actual publishing process like? I mean, cause I personally, I want criticism because I know I need to get better, but when I get it, I'm never like super excited that I was criticized. You know what I mean? So I can only imagine what like the editing process is like and the publishing process is like, but I don't have to imagine anymore, John, cause you can tell me. So that experience was actually great because I was able to publish a better book because of it. Of course. Yeah. But two, learning about, you know, I would say the editing process just helps you understand that, that feedback is good, right? Even if it is saying essentially take this out or this isn't, this could be better or here's how I try this differently. Being able to receive feedback is a great skill to have. And Fortunately, you know, I was set up with an editor at each stage of the writing process. So when I was just writing essentially what we call stories, I was writing essentially a bunch of blog posts at the very beginning of the process. I had someone also looking at my work and making suggestions and recommendations and saying, maybe think about getting more quotes here or or, what if you tried this or even kind of making grammatical updates as I went. And then as the process continued on, I had a different editor who was more looking at the structure of my book and making sure that everything kind of made sense. Mm -hmm. It was going from, there was a beginning, middle and end, and there was a, a, a rhyme and reason to the structure of the book. And then finally we had a copy editor at the very end of the process who was just making sure that I don't look like a jackass and have, you know, commas in the wrong place and everything is grammatically sound and spelled correctly and all of that. So I guess the takeaway for me was, you know, be grateful for, for critical feedback like that, right? Because it will make you better 
It'll make your work better. And learning how to receive feedback, but also learning how to give feedback is really a really important skill. One that I'm trying to work on. I've been doing Toastmasters outside of my whole business and my writing. I've been working on Toastmasters and my public speaking, but giving feedback is just as an important skill in that, in learning to, to, you know, watch one of your peers give a speech, but then give a two to three minute, you know, critical feedback. Like that is an amazing skill to learn as well. You know, kind of to kind of sidebar away from the book for a second, but no, I, I thought it was especially helpful to, to help me publish a better book, but also learn how to, to, to receive feedback constructively. Receiving it constructively and then also being able to utilize it, right? Obviously, like anyone can receive feedback doesn't mean you're good or bad at it, but then being able to actually utilize that feedback is obviously the most important part. And I'm, you, you clearly did that. I mean, the book got published. It's pretty darn good. I haven't checked on Amazon, but I saw you got a couple five-star reviews already. I hope one of them's from me. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm waiting to finish the book so I can give a really nice critical feedback. Look at that. Look at that. Maybe that's what I'm doing. Um, but I think it's great. And I think it's just so cool um, that you are a published author, that you were able to go through this whole process. How long did it take from, you know, the I guess either the idea or, or signing up for the course or the cohort, whatever you're calling it. Sure. We, we started right about this time last year. Oh, wow. And I, I joined this, this, this group with, uh, we call it creators. Um, and we were mostly meeting online using, uh, using zoom to get instruction. And it took about, I would say from January, from mid-January last year until about end of June was the time period that it took to go from basically just ideas to our first draft manuscript. So I submitted my first draft manuscript, you know, end of June. I then got approved for publication. And then from pretty much July 4th through end of September, maybe, maybe early October, was the process of going from a first draft to a final draft. And so it was a pretty accelerated pace. I yeah. think the good news is that deadlines kind of force your hand and make sure that you get the work done. And that's probably what was a big benefit of being part of this group was I had to, if I wanted to publish on time, or at least the time that we set out at the beginning, I needed to hit my deadlines. So I, I felt like um, it was kind of a quick process, but it also proves that you, it's, you can surprise yourself with how much work you can get done in, in, a, in a period of 10 months. Right? Yeah. Because once, once I submitted my final manuscript, I had a, a published copy of the book in my hands right around Thanksgiving or even, you know, first week of December. So that was pretty awesome. And this year, it's, it's now about how can I take the lessons from that project and start applying them to my business, start applying them to the other projects that I'm working on, because so much of it is about execution. Michael, you and I, you know, that's probably like the number one thing as entrepreneurs that we're thinking about is how can I ensure that I'm continuing to execute against my, my plan and not just kind of put things off. Um, ideas 
everybody's got yeah everybody's got incredible ideas you can talk to stop someone on the street they have a million dollar idea but are they doing anything with it and i think that's the most important part and clearly you've shown that you're capable of hey i had this idea you took action to make sure that you were going to get it done by signing up for this group and being a part of it and um yeah, 10 months to write a book, man. That's pretty incredible. Um, I always thought that process was a little bit longer, but hey, if, uh, if you surprise yourself, um, I guess that's the best person to surprise, right? And again, great book. Highly suggest everyone out there gets it. Um, and the last part about the book, which I think, you know, is, is I'm really curious about is how many times, so I did not ask you to come on here because of your book. Um, I asked you to come on here because I think you're a cool dude doing some pretty cool things. The book is obviously just a, an extension of that. But how, what is, I mean, what's this press junket like? I mean, you get this book, now you got to get it out there and let people know about it. Um, how have you been doing that? And how do you see that process kind of going on for as long as possible until you're a best-selling author at that point, right? Hey, I don't, I don't think being a best-selling author is necessarily you know, the number one thing that I'm looking to do here, but I am doing a few things to spread the word. Right. And I first, you honest. you wouldn't you wouldn't be angry yeah. if you're a best-selling author, right? Oh no. Yeah, yeah, you know. So everyone go buy the book. Buy yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, Amazon.com three one sponsorship. You'll you will find it right there. But the the process has been interesting. Of how can I leverage the the different things that are available to to me right now that aren't don't take much resources, but will help me to spread the word and get the ideas and the message from the book out into the world. So yes, going on podcasts has been part of it. And I appreciate the opportunity to come chat with you, Michael, because that means I, I'll get to tell even more people about the, the, the ideas from the book and, and the different things that I learned. But the next step is I, I tried to think about who is it that would benefit from reading my book, right? Not It's not necessarily about me anymore. It's, who would really benefit from reading the book and trying to go find those people and, and literally one by one, or, or ho hopefully in, they'll be kind of in groups a little bit so I can scale up my reach, but who are the people who can benefit? How do I go reach them and how do I get the book into their hands? So the next phase for me is going to be reaching out to colleges and universities that have sports marketing programs, working with, program directors who are in charge of curriculum, really helping to explain why this is an important book for their students to read. And then if possible, getting, getting in front of students who are gonna be our next generation of leaders in the sports industry and helping to infuse this three-win mindset into them. Because it, it, it's all well and good if I sell a bunch of copies and I become a bestseller, but to me it's more important that my message has more impact than just you know on my bottom line that it actually makes a difference for other people in the industry and for for just society in general because i feel like a three-win mindset of creating partnerships that benefit people and benefit the planet is what we need right now <laughs> and i don't think there's any downside to taking on that mindset so this this marketing crusade that i'll be on for the next several months i'm trying to think of it more as how can I help other people benefit from my ideas? How can I help, you know, society benefit from my ideas? And what can I do to make the sports enter entertainment industry better? So that's what I'm thinking about. 
you know, everyone please go buy the book, but don't, don't worry if, um, you know, if, if, I, I won't, I won't give you the hard sell. I just think that it, it's a great um, way to learn about uh, this mindset of, of, you know, profit and purpose in the sports entertainment industry going forward. I think that there's a lot you can do with that too, right? As you said, going out to colleges um, and getting the books in their hands. I mean, again, it's not for, you know, they're going to have to buy X amount of books because they have X amount of students, but that's not the point clearly. You know, if that was the point um, you'd be doing a lot more media than hanging out with me right now. Right. So um, I think again, from the mindset, from your, your personal philosophy on, sponsorship but your personal philosophy on life as well if you can the more wins you can add up the better it is for everybody like yeah obviously you're going to benefit slightly um i'll be honest i think i bought the book for a dollar so you're not going to become a billionaire i mean i hope you do man again hope you do best-selling author ever it's a great book but i mean clearly there's a lot more that people can learn students can learn teachers can learn just industry experts can learn from the the time the energy the resources that you put into writing this book um especially as you said with with in 2019 sponsorship being a seven billion seventy billion dollar marketing discipline and really no reason to think that that number is going to go down i mean especially with 2020 being an olympic year i mean however many billions of dollars are thrown at the olympics every year so there's so much um that people can learn and and understanding and seeing and hearing and reading these stories on how well hey if i it's it's not and, and you do a great job in the book at explaining it too it's not oh and by the way why don't we attach this cause to it it's having that venn diagram of where do they meet in the middle and from the start acknowledging like, okay, here's this brand, here's this property, and here's this cause. They all can come together in some way, shape, or form. Let's figure it out. Not just here's a brand, here's a property. Oh, hey, it looks like we might have some extra dollars. Let's attach a cause to it at the end, right? It's more of that complete three win from the beginning rather than kind of being like, oh, and by the way, this is kind of nice too. Absolutely. And Michael, I'll, I'll open this up to you because you, you know, you've worked with a lot of uh, Olympic athletes and your students work um, a, a little bit more with the, with the governing bodies, but is there, would you say like the Olympics is doing a good job of this today or, or is there kind of like room for improvement from, from your perspective? There's a, on this, to take on this, this new kind of approach. There's always room for improvement. Um, right. Like everybody can always improve and there, it has been better for the 2020 games and a lot of the things that I've been reading around that where the causes where the athletes where a lot of things are involved um, right from the press release which is great and that's that's exactly what we're looking to see right it's not just uh, an, an oh by the way um, but I mean I think you know especially at the highest of high levels is where you know it's going to be a trickle down like once the IOC starts doing much much more um i know that they 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 produce their numbers and how much of the sponsorship actually goes to causes is great you know like hey let let's do it but i think that there is a huge opportunity as you've been saying to really start integrating a lot of these things right from the get go and and rather than looking at the brand i mean the IOC the USOPC so we have the property rather than looking for brands, looking for a cause to attach to and then finding brands that make sense, I think you'll make more money that way anyway, right? Like, like certain brands might specifically want to help a cause. They might not care about going into the Olympics because of X, Y, and Z or the dollar price or, or all these things. But um, 
there's so much you can do by attaching a cause to it that I think is fantastic. Uh, so one example with um, Airbnb is now an IOC partner. Um, now there's a huge amount of controversy around it because with all of these cities, that means hotel developers and real estate developers, they have to make these hotels so people can stay. And Airbnb is now coming in. And I know Paris is, I think, the one that's most angry about it, 2024. Um, just coming in and saying, hey, like, you know, we, you don't need to have, you know, thousands of hotels to be put up and all these hotels to be put up and then pretty much not used really that much after it. Like let's save the land and let people rent out their apartments to the, you know, millions of tourists and travelers coming in, which is awesome from that perspective. Um, Airbnb is also working directly with athletes so that they have experiential opportunities with all these athletes and the athletes get paid for that, which is something that I, like every deal I try and do, I try and make sure an athlete gets money because that's the reason why I do what I do. Um, so of course there's more that can be done, but I do think that a lot of these things are starting to happen, which is awesome. Um, and we're very, very grateful for it. And then just on a personal level, you know, some of the NGBs that I'm working with and some of the, the sponsors we're talking to, you know, I had multiple conversations in the last couple of days where it's just, Hey, you know, uh, sponsor X, Y, and Z is going to, you know, we would, it's not, um, how do they say it? It's, it doesn't have to be included, but it would help a lot if there was a philanthropic cause. Um, so then that led me directly back to your book and understanding, like, let's look at all the causes that we're a part of currently and then see how we can fit, not fit brands into it, but see what brands want to be a part of that as well. Because they're going to give us more money if we can have and then give that money to the cause right overall. So we'll probably end up making more money. The experience is going to be a lot better for the brand, for the property, for the cause, and then all the people that are being marketed, right? Going back to the home runs for home, uh, home runs for hurricane relief. It just, it makes more sense to look at it from a three win situation. Yeah. And Michael, I, I will kind of spoiler alert here because I, I laid out an idea um, in towards the end of the book, Oh, no. I haven't made it to the end yet, though, John. Give me some time. Spoiler alert. We're here. It's, it's a really topical thing because of we're talking about the Olympics. So in 2028, the Summer Olympics returns to L.A. And, you know, doing my research on that, Casey Wasserman of, of the Wasserman Agency is the, is the chair of the organizing committee in, for L.A. 2028. And they have this, this goal of raising – 2.5 billion dollars in for those games, which would be the biggest sponsorship, you know, for, for anyone Olympic games ever in the United States, you know, maybe, maybe globally. I, I don't know exactly. So my idea was this, Michael, what if Casey Wasserman and his sponsorship people basically tried to tackle one of, you know, they, he just assigned a sustainable development goal to each of his, sponsorship professionals and said, okay, find, find a, a partner who we can help fulfill or contribute to this goal with, and then go find the sponsor who wants to buy into that. And then you can sign deals between now and 2028 and start activating against those partnerships. So it gives you that runway to sign deals and start activating um, against, you know, sustainable development goals for the next eight years which will help you get more revenue, help you reach that, that huge $2.5 billion number. But it also enables resources to flow into to important causes that will contribute to the SDGs, right? Mm -hmm. 
where's the downside in that, right? Wouldn't Google, wouldn't Netflix, wouldn't Facebook be lining up to participate in something like that, to get that benefit of partnering with the Olympics, to partner with Olympic athletes, some iconic figures in our society and our culture, and to contribute to things like the sustainability and combating the climate crisis, things like ending poverty, things like ending hunger. You know, the SDGs are all things that as society, we're just, we're hoping to put a dent into these, these issues, right? I see no reason why we couldn't leverage something like the 2028 Olympics and the sponsorship revenue that, that comes from that to do some really innovative marketing partnerships. And, you know, again, uh, Casey, if you're, if you're listening to this, you're probably not, but, but email me, I'll, I'll have plenty more ideas and we can, we can, uh, we can go down the list and figure out how to, how to pull this thing off. Yeah, it's a, it, I mean, it's a great idea. Um, and I've read a lot of reports that that 2.5 is, uh, they're, they're being very conservative with that number. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we reach 3.54. Um, considering all factors involved, it's in LA, it's in the United States. Um, 2020 is a long time away. And, and you're completely right. If someone can get on board with a project that's eight years away, and you can start to impact now, I mean, the marketing around, hey, let's just start impacting now and then show you what we've done in these eight years, that's, that's half the campaign, right? Like, how much more do you need to show than, hey, between the IOC, USOPC, and, uh, you know, this brand, in the last eight years since we've signed on, we have seen X, Y, Z happen to this specific cause, right? Like, I think something like that, I mean, doesn't take a marketing genius to understand that people, again, as we talked about in the beginning, sports and causes are two of the most emotional um, feelings, I guess. I don't know, emotional aspects of most people's lives. So why not take advantage of that and really build out, as you said, that runway? Um, and yeah, I mean, I can't see them you know, being unsuccessful in that, right? Like, let's say it's the 4 billion that they're looking for and 1.5 of it. They hit their 2.5 and 1.5 goes to somewhere, you know, all these other causes along the way. I mean, it is a, it's a great idea. And yeah, I'll make sure that I email this to uh, Casey. I'll have a timestamp so he knows exactly where to, uh, to listen. Hopefully he listens to the whole thing, but you know, it'll, it'll be a great idea and a, a great way to look at it. So um, I love it though, man. I can't wait to get to that part of the book. I'm not going to skip ahead because it's on my Kindle and it gets just too crazy trying to skip ahead, but uh, I'll get there in a, in a couple days, probably a couple weeks and, and, uh, I'll enjoy the heck out of that. So I appreciate you giving me a little spoiler. Uh, cause I'm sure you go a little bit deeper in there uh, in the book as well. So it should be, uh, it should be fun to read. So, I mean, we've spoken about you, we've spoken about the book. Uh, let's actually talk about your company a little bit more. And I know you recently signed on with Substack as well. So I want to speak about that. Um, with Third Wind Group, uh, obviously, it, if it isn't apparent now, we're looking at the sports and entertainment industry, sponsorships, these properties, and the causes that you can affect with them, and not just affect, but really uplift and, and, and be a part of. When you started this company, what, what was your, your end goal or end game, or what did you want it to look like? Understanding, you know, obviously, it's going to take a few 10, 15, 20 years to finally get there. Honestly, this is going to be kind of like pie in the sky, Michael. Perfect. What I want to do, honestly, with TWG is to transform the way we do business in the sports center. I want to leverage the power of sports, the power of music and film and all of these things that culturally are really important to people 
and I want to leverage them as a force for good. And I feel like there is a lot of good happening already uh, in the sports entertainment industry. Don't get me wrong. I think the charitable efforts across the leagues, the teams, so many musicians and artists and actors and actresses are doing great work. I, I think that is, I think we would agree on that. I think there's bigger potential to unlock business ideas and business resources to make a difference on people and the planet. And it's not gonna just be me, right, doing this. I wanna build a firm with other people who are like-minded, who can want to build partnerships, who wanna get into impact investing, wanna do really creative, innovative, exciting stuff, and try and move the industry forward towards something that's more sustainable, something that, you know, the, something that more people can benefit from just in their day-to-day -day lives. Right. And to me, things like sponsorship and things like advertising, there's so many resources in them. But if we can't counteract things like the climate crisis and we can't address some of the big issues in society today, the music's going to stop for us. Right. We won't continue to grow our businesses. We won't continue to, you know, benefit and enjoy everything that we get from the sports entertainment industry. So I'm trying to, number one, kind of send a bit of a wake-up call to, to, my, to my, my fellow uh, sports entertainment industry professionals and say, look, this is what consumers are demanding today. And I have a few ideas on how we can change that, starting with marketing. But I want to be a part of this, this transformation of business, particularly leveraging sports entertainment. To, to really build it into something that's doing good, that's providing a positive social impact for society, for the planet. And I, I think it's, it, it, it's not worth kind of doing things the old fashioned way in sports entertainment, because if we keep doing them that way, it's, there's nothing that says like, we can continue on this growth trajectory, right? Um, I, I, I'm really passionate about this and, and I'm just kind of in the very, very early stages of this, Michael, but I feel like I, I've, I've seen where this is going and unless we change the way we do business, um, I don't think we're going to be 10 years from now having this conversation and saying, oh, well, everything's going great, right? I think there's a lot of forces at play that suggest to me we have to adapt, we have to transform our business practices. Um, anyway, that's my, that's my TED talk for today. <laughs> I was gonna say, a sweet monologue, man. I do like it and I agree with you. Um, and hopefully uh, Third Wind Group, or as you've referred to it, TWG, uh, is, is in the same light as the IMGs, the Wassermans, um, the, it's not Endeavor anymore, I don't think, but whatever it is. Um, and, and really understanding that, that, I mean, that is a huge, huge opportunity for you, but it's also a huge opportunity for all of these sports and entertainment brands, right? These sports and entertainment properties that they can start to change the world. They can start to change things that they care about um, in a really easy way. Like a very, very easy way. It's just by adding something in in the beginning rather than the end, you can get so much more out of it. And I, and I totally agree. The only, the only, uh, you know, counter argument I'd make is, well, okay, you're talking to that 55 year old guy who's been doing this for 30 years and said, well, it's still working like this. Why would I change? 
Yeah, I talk about this in the book, and, and this is a mindset that I think it's, it's, it's about inertia, right? Everything's going up and to the right and as far as profits go, growth, revenue, new stadiums, new leagues, new teams, you know, more, more business uh, and more tours for, for artists and musicians. I get it. And this is about business, right? We do need to pr provide value for our shareholders. That is one of the core tenets of business. However, I would just encourage anyone who's been in the industry for a long time to just look at what's happening around you in the world. Look at what happened last summer when the business roundtable and CEOs from JP Morgan Chase and Johnson Johnson, other big companies released a new statement on the purpose of business. And that is, it's bigger than profits. It's actually about all of our stakeholders. That means our, our employees, that means our shareholders, that means the community where our business operates, that means the planet. Business is bigger than just profits. And so if you believe that, if you, if you kind of are on the same level with all of these business leaders that agree that business is about purpose, then let's talk about how we can, how we can get there, right? I'm not saying we have to change everything about sponsorship. I'm not saying we have to change everything about the way we run our sports and entertainment businesses, but there are great ways to innovate today and in the next 10 years that will both help you grow your business and help you make a positive impact on society, right? There's, this isn't an, an either or, it's both and. And, and I, I want to work with anybody who's in the sports entertainment industry who, who has that same mindset. So I'm not going to come in and say, I know how to do things better than the 20 to 25 year veteran. In fact, they probably know a lot more about building sponsorship than I do. I'm just trying to bring some new and fresh and innovative ideas to the table. And I want to learn from other people who've been there to see how I can make my ideas and implement my ideas even better. If that makes sense. Completely makes sense. And, um, and I love it, man. It's nice. Fresh new ideas are always good. People hate change um, until it works, right? Like no one wants something to change, but then once you see it, cause you always have a lot of people I try and not, you know, uh, think this way, but when you finally see something work, you can say, okay, I'm not afraid of it anymore. Before that, it's it's very easy to say, well, what if it doesn't work? And what if the commissions don't go through? Or if I don't have my goals, because some, you know, young guy right out of college came up with a pretty cool idea that makes sense on paper, but, um, you know, they don't know. So I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, hopefully you are, you are um, the leader in that front, John. I, uh, I think it'd be kind of cool. Hey, you, you and me both, Michael, I, I'm excited about what you're working on, the mission that you're on, because, you know, Olympic athletes are, you know, are some of the most just inspirational, you know, powerful people in, in our society. And what you're doing to help them not only kind of maximize their, their revenue potential, but, but also just, just do, do more great work in the world, I think is awesome. And, I feel like we're just kind of at the ground floor, man. We're just kind of just getting started and we have a long road ahead of us, but it should be a lot of fun to, to, to be on this journey and, and do a lot of great work together. I hope so, man. I mean, we're still in our twenties, right? I mean, just think about uh, how many more years we have till we get to 50. So yeah, I expect a lot of good things from the two of us. It should be a lot of fun. Um, so do you, do you want to speak about Substack a little bit? So you joined this uh, company recently. Um, 
you know, tell me, tell me about the company, why it was so attractive to you and, and really what helped you kind of come into the mix and start helping, you know, their, their cause that they're working on. Yeah. And I'll just clarify really quickly what Substack is. They're actually a software platform that I'm just leveraging. I'm not an employee. I'm just okay. leveraging the Apologize. Okay. Cool. 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 Publish my, my written work. And I, I have this newsletter. I, I, I call it win, win, win. I'm trying to stay on brand here. Right. But uh, I, I publish on Substack every Thursday I put out, I'm trying to make it like one essay or, or thoughtful blog post per week. And I'm using Substack to get uh, that message out there. So you can subscribe. I believe the website's thirdwin.substack.com to get my written work, which will come out every day, every week on Thursdays. And really what I'm, I'm using that for is it's just a, a great tool to kind of very easily publish work and then you can also um, if you like invite your readers to subscribe and pay you directly for your written work right so right now all of my work is free and accessible to anybody over time i may very well turn on the option for people to subscribe and contribute whatever we'll, we'll determine that down the line but it's a it's a really cool platform mostly for independent writers get their work out there, get paid for their work and for an audience to, to be able to contribute to, you know, creators and, and authors that they like. So um, if you go there today or, or when you hear this podcast, you'll see that I wrote about in homage to 30 for 30, the great ESPN documentaries. I wrote 20 for the twenties and, and these are, basically 20 trends or ideas that I see making a huge impact on the sports entertainment industry during the decade of the 2020s. So we, we tease this out a little bit during the conversation. Um, but I, I really try and give people a look into, all right, all right, what should I be paying attention to? You know, what are some of the things that might implement, uh, make, it might implicate my work, my career, what I'm doing, inside the sports and entertainment industry. So, who else, uh, you know, I haven't quite decided how, what else I'm gonna write about. Uh, I, I might write about Coldplay and them deciding to press pause on their tour for their new album because of um, climate crisis and like their, their concern that their tours provide a, a major carbon footprint. So I might write about that and I might write about things like, you know, Stephen Curry doing innovative sponsorship and endorsement deals that are that are basically taking my three-win mindset and, and running with it uh, but it should be a great space to, to learn and grow and i'm excited to to be publishing doing more writing and getting more ideas out there that, that we can all hopefully uh, benefit from it's it's awesome as uh, you know as i said before the last two that have come out if i'm not mistaken were the the 20 for the 20s um you had some you had some very cool ideas in there. Um, some stuff that, again, you know, when you, you, when you see it or when you read it, you're like, well, yeah, duh, of course. But you didn't think about it beforehand because it wasn't ever put in front of you. So I think what you're doing is great. And I apologize for getting a little mixed up uh, with exactly what the, uh, what the relationship is. But it sounds like it's a good one. And hopefully you make some money from it. Or, or hopefully at least you, uh, you can help change some minds and, and educate some people. So, John, this was awesome. John Balcom. 
cool dude, great stuff. Uh, send me over all your links, all your information. Everything's going to be in the show notes. So everyone, please go out and buy the book. Uh, it is absolutely fantastic. So I appreciate your time today, man. Thanks so much, Michael. This was a blast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and all the episodes of For the Love of Sports. Um, on a personal note, I would really like to say thank you and, and sincerely, sincerely mean that. This is the actual favorite thing that I get to do. Just talk to incredible people, have great conversations, and I learn and hopefully you're learning something and hopefully we can laugh along the way. So if you could please give this a five-star review, if you could please share this um, subscribe to it, do whatever you have to do. The more people that do that, the more these stories and these conversations get out. And I'm really hoping that one day, um, one day soon, this will be something that I get to do as a full-time job um, on top of my other full-time job, of course. But this is an absolute blast. Sincerely appreciate it. Check the show notes for all social media handles. Anything that came from the episode, we'll have everything down there. And I hope you really did enjoy it. So if there's anything I can do better, please make sure to reach out. Uh, my email address, michael.raziel1 at gmail. Please make sure to check me out on LinkedIn, uh, on Instagram, and, and just reach out because I'm willing to answer any questions. And hey, if you got a cool story, I'd love to have you on as well. So thank you so much. Sincerely appreciate it. And I hope you make it a wonderful day.